Daniel chapter four. You ever been humbled? This chapter is humbling. It's never fun. I was just talking to someone about this. It's, it's gotta be up there as far as one of my most humbling experiences. I'm always adding new ones to it, so it may fall down the list. But I was in my senior year of becoming an engineer at Oregon State. And the summer before that, I went to Alaska and I was a longshoreman. And our job was to repair decks and fix stuff and drive forklifts and whatever needed to be done, we just did it. So there's this giant propane tank. I don't know how many gallons it was, but it was massive. And we needed to move it because the deck was rotting around it. And so I'm like, ooh, you better be careful with that. Because you add in a big forklift and that big tank, and if it's full of propane, propane's six pounds per gallon. That's, that could easily be 10,000 pounds plus a forklift. You'll go right through this dock and you'll end up in the ocean. And so they're like, well, you're the engineer. How do we tell if this tank is full? I said, well, it's easy. You know what propane is, right? Colorless, odorless gas, right? So I'm like, it's easy. Just look inside the tank. Yeah. And, and both these guys, they just looked at me like, what? And I thought, why explain this? I'm just going to show them. So I had this giant valve on it and I just start spinning that valve and I put my eye down there and propane shooting out at about 100 miles per hour just hit me right in the eyeball. And I am screaming. I, have you ever been hit in the eye with, with propane? Probably nobody has, because it's a very unique thing to happen to someone. I'm alone in that category. Uh, and I finally just dunked my head in a big bucket of water. I mean, it was just excruciating. My boss, his name is Dave. He like grabs me. And Dave was never serious. He's like, Matt, I gotta talk to you. So he sits me down. He just says, are you doing drugs? <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I was. I wish that was my excuse right now. That was just full on humbling, right? So it's good to be humbled. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be humbled. And what we've seen in really the subplot of Daniel, right? There's a lot of plots happening in Daniel, but there's this subplot and it's really set Nebuchadnezzar up that he is this powerful, grumpy, narcissistic tyrant of a king, right? Who thinks a lot of himself. Makes this image 90 feet tall, most likely an image of himself. So he has a very high opinion of himself. But God has been coming after him. Chapter one, he meets these boys, these Yahweh boys who are better and smarter than everyone else. He's like, oh, you guys are interesting. Welcome to the team. You're a team now, right? Chapter two, he has this nightmare. He calls in all of his top dudes. None of them can interpret it. Well, none of them can tell him what the dream is to then trick him what the interpretation is, right? He's like, I'm not even gonna tell you the dream. I want you to tell me my dream and the interpretation. They go, no one can do that. No one at all. And what happens? Daniel, with his three boys, not only tell him the dream, but give him the interpretation. He's like, whoa, okay, impressive, right? You just got elevated, you just got, a, you got moved up a rank. Then chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These boys that will not bow. The thousands of people that bow, three don't. 
And that's gotta impress him at some level. Like, hmm, these guys have some metal in them. And then he goes, well, bow down or else. And they don't. And God sets them free from a fiery furnace. That's impressive, right? Each chapter subsequently, bigger and bigger and bigger. Does Nebuchadnezzar believe though? Mm -mm. Because miracles don't necessarily lead to faith, right? Jesus resurrects Lazarus after he's been dead for four days. You ever seen a dead body after four days? It's really bad, right? It's puffed up and oozing out. It's, it's bad. Jesus resurrects him and it says some believed and some said we have to kill him. I don't think that's believing. We have to kill this guy because he's resurrecting dead people. We don't like that, right? So it doesn't necessarily lead to faith. So what's gonna make this guy believe? Well, that's chapter four. And remember chapter four follows the big image, the me worship my way or else, it follows that. Now it doesn't necessarily mean it was right after it. Uh, most people believe this event happened in about 571 BC. Daniel would be about, oh, somewhere 40 years old or so. So it's been, it's been 20 years of, or 25 years of Daniel serving King Nebuchadnezzar. So it, it's about that time frame, And this is the chapter where God finally, finally pins down Nebuchadnezzar. Verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. We followed Nebuchadnezzar now for three chapters. Does that sound like Nebuchadnezzar of chapters one, two, and three? No, in chapters one, two, and three, he was always like, I'm gonna turn you into body parts and I'm gonna make your house a landfill. Like he said that over and over. And now he's like, peace be multiplied to you, right? He makes this image, the whole thing of gold saying, my kingdom is not disappearing. This time he goes, verse three, his kingdom is everlasting. Not how great I am. Verse three, how great are his signs. I mean, he has changed. Your worldview, what you believe about how the world works will affect your behavior. Do you know that? I have this study from George Barna, really interesting. It's called Third Millennial Teens. So he compared teenagers who had a biblical worldview, asked them some survey questions, looked at them, versus those that lacked a solid biblical belief system. So here's what he found. Teens who lack a solid biblical belief system are 225% more likely to be angry with life, 216% more likely to be resentful, 210% more likely to lack purpose in life, 200% more likely to be disappointed in life, 200% more likely to steal, 200% more likely to physically hurt someone, 300% more likely to use illegal drugs, 
and 600% more likely to attempt suicide based on your worldview. And you can see that right here with Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> He's been a tyrant in chapters one, two, and three. I'm gonna turn you into body parts and make your house a landfill. Now he's peace. God's the best one. You can just see the switch. So here's why. Verse four. What he's doing right now is this. He's giving his memoir, right? This is probably, he probably wrote this down at the very end of his life. So this is, you know, an ex-president writing down now his story. He's doing this. End of his life. I'm recounting what was the big change in my life. I'm putting it down on paper. So verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and there is no mystery too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Another dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And it has something ominous to it because twice he says, I'm afraid these things alarmed me. This was crazy, right? And it's interesting to me how this verse or this section begins because it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. A couple thoughts on that. I think sometimes we can look at people and it can seem like they're at the top of their game, that they've got it made. When it's not actually true. Right? We have a neighbor, we know somebody who's, they just got it made. They got the house, they got the cars, they got the boat, they got the motorhome, they've got the fine food, they got all that. But if you only knew what was happening up here, they're stressed out, their marriage is on the rocks, no relationship with their kids, alimony, right? On meds, they're miserable actually. But it sure looks like on the outside, they got it made. While some dude who's running a weed eater on the side of the road is the happiest guy in the world. He's got his earphones in. He's podcasting the Edgewater podcast. He's loving life. <laughs> like, be careful. Nebuchadnezzar is miserable. He's alarmed. He's afraid. This is a recurring thing with him. These dreams, this is pestering him. He's like, ah, interesting. And the second thing is this. Like, I think the goal of our life is often 
to be at ease in our palace, isn't it? That's our goal. We're like sold that from the time we're little. Get some money, make a lot of money so you can live at ease in your palace. Get enough money, save it up, all right. Then you'll have the good life. One of my favorite reads of the last probably three years was a book called Self and Soul, not a Christian book. A professor from Virginia wrote it and he was just evaluating like what makes life. And he told about this researcher who went and interviewed these people who had been very wealthy at some point, $100 million or more, like lots of money. And then they just got sick of it. They gave all their money away, moved to a third world country and lived on nothing. And so he went and interviewed like, what, do you, yeah, that's crazy. He went and just went to these people. And there's a number of them now. Why'd you do it? All that kind of stuff. And he, and he wrote a report about it. But the thing that stood out to me was this, this guy that saw all these people, he said this, this was the common denominator between all these people. They laughed a lot. They just laughed a lot. They're always smiling and laughing. Even though they had nothing now, they had everything that they wanted at one point, they've got nothing, but man, they laugh. We go to third world countries and we're like, oh, we wanna help people out. I'm not sure about that. I've been to a lot of third world countries. I've watched kids in Africa, in Vanuatu, in Haiti, in India, playing soccer on gravel with a bag of just rags, kicking it around, laughing, and having the best time of their life. And then I go watch a soccer game here on a $100,000 AstroTurf field with $50 balls, kids complaining, angry at refs, fights happening. I just wonder, who's got it better? Who's got that better actually? I go there and you know what I think? I, they don't need my stuff, I need their faith. Because they got a faith in Jesus that's infectious and beautiful and incredible. Sometimes I think we get it backwards. We gotta be very careful of this thing, right? It was when David was at ease that he committed adultery and failed. Be careful of ease. Sometimes it can be the worst thing. So it looks like Nebuchadnezzar's got it made here. He's at ease, looks like he's living the good life. I don't think so. So he calls in all these dudes again, verse seven, and they can't do it. <laughs> Same thing they couldn't do in chapter two, they can't do it here as well. The whole crew of them, magician, enchanter, Chaldean, astro astrologer, now we don't got a clue. I love the fact that Daniel does not butt in. He just waits his turn. He's not like, ah, oh, wait a second. He lets them do their chicken bones or their tea leaves or whatever they were doing. He lets them do it all. And then he's like, okay, Daniel, come in here. Sometimes I think the best thing we can do as believers is let all the enchanters do their garbage and then just wait for your turn. Yeah, that ain't gonna work. That ain't, I'm not gonna butt my head in there. That ain't gonna work. But eventually, eventually I'll get my turn. And then I'll tell you what actually is going to work. So this sets it up and the dream goes on, verse 12. And I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts Flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a, bound with a band of iron and bronze 
amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of the heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar saw and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me. But you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Everything with Nebuchadnezzar is big. Like his dream in chapter two, big image, gold, silver, bronze, brass, iron, iron and clay, big. The image he makes in the field, 90 feet tall, big. This tree here, giant, verse 10 tells us. Could be seen from anywhere on earth, right? It's just a massively incredible tree, like everything. He is big. Nebuchadnezzar is a big deal on the world stage, is what this is saying. But something happens, and the worry that I think gets Nebuchadnezzar is the change in pronouns. Verse eight, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, Verse 15, but leave the stump, its roots in the earth, bound with a band amid the tender grass of the field. Let him, not anymore, him be wet. Let his mind be changed. It's a change. He knows this is not about a tree. This is about me. He knows it just by how the pronouns have changed right there. And it says that to Nebuchadnezzar, to him would be given a mind of a beast, how do beasts differ from humans? What's the big thing that's different? They can't reason, right? A beast just goes on instinct. That's what it does. It doesn't reason things out. It's, hey, if I'm hungry, I will kill, right? It doesn't have any remorse. There's no lion that runs down the baby antelope, tackles it, twists its neck off, and is like, oh, why did I do that again? just poor little baby. No, because it's instinct where we can reason things out and be like, oh, right. Should have killed the baby. It's reason. In the animal kingdom, might is right. If you can do it, do it. That's the mind of a beast. Was Nebuchadnezzar already might is right? I'd argue yes. Right? He'd been living that way his whole life. I got the power. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna throw you into a dungeon I'm gonna make you, right? I'm gonna tear you limb from limb. I'm gonna make you into body parts. I'm gonna make your house into a landfill. I'm gonna do exactly what I want and no one's gonna tell me I can't. He was already had the mind of a beast. To me, this is just God saying, that's the trajectory you're on, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm gonna let you have it full. You wanna try that life? I'm gonna give it to you 100%. You're gonna literally have the mind of a beast. And I so love verse 17. <laughs> The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. How good is that? 
Why'd you win the election? You're the lowliest of men, right? You won because you were the worst. I love that, man. Put that in your political pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Whoever you love, maybe it's because they're the lowliest of men. Such a great verse. And you have in here a couple of times, it talks about this group. It's called the Watchers. And then it also links it immediately with holy ones. So verse 12, 13, excuse me. And behold, a watcher singular, a holy one singular. Then down verse 17, the sentence is by decree, not of God, of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. What in the world is that? This is a huge, fascinating, incredible mind-blowing subject in scripture. And I do not have time for it. (laughs) I'll give you a little appetizer because that's all I can do. So if you read Psalm 82, one of the most interesting Psalms, because it begins by saying this, that God takes his place among the divine council. He sits down in some kind of a council room of sorts, it seems like. And then you keep reading that and this council has gone apostate. So in verses six and seven, God decrees this. You guys are gods, literally Elohims, plural gods. You guys are gods, but because of what's happened, you're going to die like men. Your immortality is gone now. You don't have the same status. What's really interesting is Jesus in John chapter 10 quotes this when he's in an argument with the, with the Pharisees. Just, it, it, it gets so interesting, all right? So, so what's happening with all this? Well, I think you see the, the divine counsel in 1 Kings chapter 22. When God appears, surrounded by his crew, says, there's this guy named Ahab and he's a really bad king. What do I do about him? And it says that one person suggested this, or not one person, I shouldn't say that. One being suggested this. One, it's just one in the Hebrew. One said this, and another said this, and another suggested this. And then one said this, I will be a lying spirit sent down to Ahab, and I will deceive him to bring him out to battle. And what does Yahweh say? Okay. It's like the most shocking little, you just, when you read it, you should just say, what, what is that? That's what you're supposed to do. What is that? Like it, it's, it's, it's flooring. So all that to say is this. If you read the Bible really thoroughly over and over like that, you see over and over these pop-ups of some kind of a counsel that God uses. Now, does God need the counsel? Mm-mm. But God appears to want to share with his divine counsel, his rule of the cosmos. So you come to Revelation, and in Revelation, there are these people surrounding God's throne. Who are they? Do you remember that? The four and 20 elders, the 24 elders. What are they? They are a type of a divine counsel. It's a new divine counsel. And that's why over and over the New Testament says this, you and I, the true sons of God, the true daughters of God, one day we are going to rule 
and reign with God forever. What are we? We are the new divine council because the other one went apostate, Psalm 22. I think it's way before that, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. There's all these texts on it that they went apostate. So God is now bringing up a new divine council. He says, you are going to partner with me in eternity in ruling and reigning the cosmos. How cool is that gonna be? So that's what you're seeing right here. These are non-apostate, members of this council that still partner with God in ruling and reigning. So it's the decree of the watcher, the decree of the holy ones coming down and saying, this is what's gonna happen. Now, did it have God's stamp on it? Absolutely. Did something like 1 Kings 22 happen? Probably. And God said, perfect, go make that happen. That's how we'll get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. It's really just a fascinating study. You can get lost in stuff like this. The Bible is so, so so deep, crystal clear, but so, so deep. And this is one of those little, oh, that is awesome, right? So the watchers come, say, we're gonna do this. Then Daniel, verse 19, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which food was for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high, which has come upon you, my Lord, my king, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel gives it. But in verse 19, it just says that he was dismayed for a while. Now, why was he dismayed for a while? Is it because he was afraid of Nebuchadnezzar? Like you try to burn my buddies. You're gonna make me into body parts and my house into a landfill. What are you gonna do when you get this? You're a tyrant. 
Is that why? I don't think so. I think Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel were buddies by now. And he is saddened to read about what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, that it's breaking his heart. And I say that because I think the right prophetic voice for someone, if you feel like you need to talk to somebody about something that you've seen or a revelation has been given to you, your heart better break before you ever decide to open your mouth. If you are gleeful and wanting to do it, don't say a word. The only time you should speak is if, man, you sit for a while and your thoughts alarm you and you're dismayed and you're you're saying, I wish this was not true. I wish this never happened to you. Then you have the right kind of heart. It's what Jesus does in Luke chapter 19 when he comes to Jerusalem and he weeps over that city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Man, how I want to gather you like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. The city that was going to just in the next day or two, say, we will not have this man rule over us. Crucify him. Jesus knew that was coming. And yet he wept over that city because he loved it. That's the kind of heart you have to have before you ever open your mouth prophetically. So Nebuchadnezzar sees it. Body language sees something in Daniel. And he's like, just shoot straight with me, Daniel. Don't worry about it. I can handle it. Tell me it. I read Proverbs 27 to my two boys this morning. And there in verse five and six, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. This is what Nebuchadnezzar knows. Dude, I know you're an honest guy. I know you're truthful. This will be faithful. Tell me the way it is. Just give it to me. So Daniel tells him the truth, but I love that he adds on verse 27. Therefore, here's how you should live. There's a time to tell people the truth. This is just the truth. And then there's also a time to say, because of this truth I just gave you, here's what you should do. I sometimes I think we're afraid to tell people, based on this truth, here's what you need to do. But they should follow each other. I just gave you some truth from God's word. And based on that truth from God's word, here is how you ought to live. Number one, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. That's the idea of repentance. Repentance isn't just turning from your junk, right? It's turning to something new. It's a 180. That's always been repentance. So in Ephesians 4, 28, Paul says this, let the thief steal no more, but let him work with his hands, that which is good, so that he might have something to give. So according to the gospel, when does a thief stop being a thief? When he stops stealing? No. When he starts giving, right? Because the gospel is never about taking things away from us. The gospel is always about us becoming something new and brilliant and beautiful. Not just, hey, don't do that. No, 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 no. It's, no, here's what you need to be. It's beautiful and right. Your heart has been consumed with yourself and selfishness and it's destroying you. Instead, get a new heart that wants to give and help and love. That's the gospel. It's always, it's always about, hey, become something, give. And then number two, by showing mercy to the oppressed. Now, these are two big themes in the Bible, Sadaqah and Mishnah. They're huge. Mercy. Nebuchadnezzar, was he known for mercy in chapters one through three? 
No way, right? He took slaves. He conquered nations. He crushed people. He burned people. He was not known for mercy. So Daniel's saying, listen, you have an opportunity right now. You're an absolute monarch. You have tons of slaves in Babylon. You have tons of refugees here. You have tons of people that you have kidnapped. Show mercy on them. Great opportunity. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? How is that for a sentence? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. You read commentaries and they're like, there's a medical reason for this. I just say, no, he's crazy. He just went crazy, right? That's what happened to him. There's no medical condition. God did it and he went crazy, all right? You know the problem with self-made men? They tend to worship their creator. Wait for it. Nobody? Yeah, that's what happened to him. Nebi thought a lot of himself. There's a very famous archeologist who dug all over Babylon and the hundred cities that are like around Babylon. His name is Sir Henry Rawlinson. And he said this, the only inscription he has ever found on a brick was this one, Nebuchadnezzar, son of Nabopolassar, king of Babylon. And there's on millions of bricks. It was just Nebuchadnezzar. People will know me. People will know me. People will know me. I am the tree of life. I provide everything for everybody. I'm it. I'm the man. We all need a dose of humility. And Nebuchadnezzar got one right here. But Matt, I worked hard for where I got. I love that one. I'm like, so what if you were born in the second century in Mongolia? I got my MBA. You gonna get that in the second century? Like there's a whole bunch of things in your life that if they were just a little bit different, you're a radically different person. Radically different. Like this one in my life, um, my wife's grandpa, John Neal, he told us how he met Peggy, his wife, my wife's grandma. And it went like this. He was in World War II, stationed in Honolulu, had a good buddy, was dating a gal. She had two friends. So they're like, let's go uh, uh, date all three couples. Let's go. 
So they're outside waiting for this guy to pull up in a car. They're waiting, 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 and they're in their navy duds. And here he pulls up and two girls are sitting in the back. John Neal opens the back, looks at both of them, grabs Peggy out of the car and said, this one's mine. I told my girls, if that ever happens to you, run, get away from that guy, <laughs> right? Now, if he had chose differently, man, I don't have a wife right now. I mean, how crazy is that, right? One little thing, I mean, how many millions of those things happen? It just takes humility to say like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, be so thankful. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did not have. I, no, he didn't build Babylon, his dad did. He moved into it. It was already done. Maybe he refurbished it. It was already built, man. His dad defeated a whole bunch of countries, set him up for this, but he doesn't see it at all, right? And, it, it, and I've, in my Bible, I have 12 months underlined. It took him a year to forget. Had this dream, probably set him on the straight and narrow for a while, but then it slowly, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Oh, look how great I am. Bam! Don't forget, the reason we come together every Sunday and Wednesday, the reason why we're in scripture is guess why? Because we'll be just like Nebuchadnezzar. We will forget. There's no one better than Nebuchadnezzar. I need to be reminded We need to write notes to ourselves, put bracelets on, do whatever we need to do to be reminded because we will go exactly the way of Nebuchadnezzar. We will forget. Don't forget. We need to be reminded all the time. Be humble. I try to remind my kids all the time, be humble. It's playing cards with my five-year-old Myron and he's not good at losing. Like right now, he he does not like to lose, right? So I'm playing some cards with him. We're playing like crazy eights or something. I said, Myron, buddy, um, like you need to learn to be good at losing. And this is what he said to me. He looked at me and goes, but dad, I'm so good at winning. I went, oh, there's the problem, buddy. <laughs> but dad, I'm so good at winning. Why, why do I need to learn to lose? Right? We just need to be reminded, humility, humility. So what happened here? Is it a medical condition? I don't know. Like there's weird people today. I read this when I, when I was looking at this, like the medical stuff behind this. Have you ever heard of furries? I hope you haven't. It's this, this article was called The Secret Life of Human Pups. And it's these grown men who think they are dogs. And they buy very expensive suits. So the, uh, one had a $4,000 dog suit made for him custom fit. They get in them. Uh, they eat their dog food out of a dog bowl. Um, when friends come to visit them, they bark at them. Like they better not sniff them because that would be the it, man. Just <laughs> that's not happening. Right? This one guy, his name is uh, Kaz uh, James, 37 years old. He was like the main guy that I watched. Uh, he, he, he's looking for a master to walk him around the town. This is in England on a leash. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? You're insane. He was all proud that he was crate chained. So he would at night crawl into this three by three by three crate, 
sitting right next to his perfect bed and sleep in there. And the camera's like, isn't that uncomfortable? He's like, no, if, if I just do this right here, it's really quite comfortable. I'm like, you're insane. You are insane. So what happened? I don't know, but we have the same stuff today. Just insane stuff happening today, just like this. And what we know from history is this. There's a missing section of, of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And, and people are like, I don't know what happened. I'm like, I do. Right here. He was out in a field and he went insane. It was absolutely insane. So how does he get out of it? Well, look at this. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Something very good to do if you're feeling insane. Step one, lift your eyes to heaven. And my eyes return, my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? If you remember in chapter three, when he was gonna throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, no one can deliver you from my hand. Now he's like, actually, there's one who can. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord saw me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble how good is that? I love this because if you look at the chronology, Nebuchadnezzar's an old dude right here. He's a way old man. I won't say way old man. He's 65, 70. <laughs> He's older. He's young, actually. Not that I'm getting up there. He's a spring chicken. I just love it. It's never too late. We baptized a guy that was 67 years old on Easter. That was one of my favorites. Like, it's never too late. Late. It's not too late for you. Come in. And, and because of his pride, God had to humble him. And for him, to be real, for him to realize, actually, I'm not as great as I thought I was. God is so faithful to humble us. I was gonna tell a story about it, but I think my propane story is good enough. <laughs> it is a good one, I'll tell you this. So, I just told Mark this, I don't know, a week or two ago. Um, I had this little concrete job that I was doing. And so I grabbed my wife and my two daughters to help me on it. And for some reason, you know how it is with kids? Like I have an 18 year old and a 16 year old. You just get in these conversations. You're like, how in the world? Why are we talking about this right now, right? It's one of those. Because it came up like, um, like being well-known or something. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty well-known in Grants Pass. I'm like, no, you aren't, dad. I'm like, yes, I am, man. I walk around, I know a lot of people. I'm like, no, you're not, dad. You don't, no one knows you. Nah. I'm like, why, why are we doing this right now, right? I'm like, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. So anyways, the concrete guy comes <laughs> and he jumps out. He's like, hey, it's my pastor. So I looked at my daughters. Yeah. 
right? And then he said this, so good to see you, Pastor Mark. And my daughter looked at me and went. <laughs> so the rest of the day it was, okay, Mark. Okay, Mark. What do you need, Mark? You want some help, Mark? <laughs> God will humble you. Sometimes like that, like that didn't take long. Can you give me a day, please? <laughs> oh, God will humble you. So what do we do? Two things and we're done. Number one, beware of cosmic plagiarism. Stealing what is God's. As believers, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be thankful. Like, God, thank you for the DNA I have. Thank you for the mind you've given me. Thank you for the opportunities you've given me. Thank you that I was born in the 21st century, the 20th century in America. Thank you. That's how you get rid of cosmic plagiarism. That's how you stay away from what Nebuchadnezzar went down, that I did all this great stuff. No, you didn't. You may have partnered with God in it, but he's the one that gave you the opportunity. Beware of cosmic plagiarism. The way you get rid of it is just be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Number two, be teachable. God's come after Nebuchadnezzar, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, right? He just keeps coming after Nebuchadnezzar. Learn, bro. Listen. You don't have to be crazy for seven years, right? You're either gonna have a hard head and you get smashed or you're gonna have a soft heart and you'll get saved. And the way that we have a soft heart, simple. Teach me, teach me. I don't wanna learn that way. I don't wanna go seven years like that. I don't wanna go crazy. I don't want that. Teach me. Are we good listeners when God sends us Daniels? Are we good listeners when God sends us Shadrach? Meshach's and Abednego's. Or do we want to just burn them up? I don't, they're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. We're good listeners. Soft hearts bring great listening and protect you from getting smashed. First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll lift you up in due season. Humility is huge. It's huge. Jeremiah 29, 23. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but boast in this, that you know me. You wanna boast in something? I know Jesus. That's a great boast, right? That keeps your heart very soft and protects you from getting smashed. Don't have a hard head. Have a soft heart. Listen listen well, and be thankful. So Jesus, help us today to learn from the mistakes of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm grateful in this story that you faithfully pursued Nebuchadnezzar time and time and time again, just like you faithfully pursued me, time and time again, giving me chance after chance after chance. You are so good. May we be people that overflow with gratitude and learn quickly from your work in chapter one, not in chapter four. May we have soft hearts that allow us to be imprinted with your image, not chiseled by it. I pray, Lord, for us as we go out from this place tonight, back to homes, 
into jobs, neighborhoods. I pray that the way that Daniel carried himself, his excellent spirit, his kindness, his giving truth, but also applying it. Here's what you should do with this. May we learn from Daniel. May we follow his example well. And may we see not only our lives changed, but those around us. So Phyllis, we wanna be good neighbors. We wanna be good husbands, good wives. We wanna be good moms, good dads. We wanna be good workers. And that we know we cannot do those things without your spirit, without that beautiful fruit of love and joy and peace and long suffering and meekness and temperance. So fill us with your spirit. May the Nebuchadnezzars around us recognize like he did in Daniel, you have the spirit of God in you. May that be recognized. So fill us so it is recognized. And we ask this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.